Hello and welcome to Australian Gothic, a podcast about cursed Australiana. And welcome everyone to the closing ceremony of the 2032 Australian Gothic Olympics. The entire population of Dark Brisbane has gathered under the black sun to hear Juan Antonio Samarank's closing speech. Dawina is Brisbane, says the almost entirely skeletal former IOC president, who has been reanimated by the dark will of our lovely hosts. He's been saying Dawina is Brisbane for the last hour and it's all he will say. It's been a wonderful <laughs> Olympics, and today marks an extra special occasion, the release of the 1000th episode of the podcast Australian Gothic. Soon the ceremony is underway. A scale replica of the Manabar performs a lap of the arena. Dancers wearing shorts flee <laughs> away in great distress as they are denied entry to the launch party for Duke Nukem Forever. The oh my god. The audience cheers as a float appears carrying beloved long-running characters Mitzi, Whiffer, and the Cunt. <laughs> a gigantic statue wanders into the arena. It is an effigy of a besuited middle-aged man. It's Reg Grundy! Businessman, media mogul, <laughs> and whose name is rhyming slang for undies, according to Josie and her family. <laughs> the effigy turns its head and fires a stream of Grundies into the crowd. The people are bowled over by bras, knickers, and boxer brief. Boxer briefs, sorry. It's like a riot hose of delicates. Uh, some of them do not get back up. <laughs> Nikki Webster is back! <laughs> Nikki Webster is back! Now 45, she plays a gothic adult version of Hero Girl from the Sydney 2000 opening ceremony. She leads, a she leads a chorus of goths from all over the world in a version of Under the Southern Skies called Under the Gothic Skies. It is mostly the same song, but tuned to drop D and with more wailing. Then everyone smiles as a familiar voice is heard across the arena. Hello, possums! Help me! Oh. It's Dame Edry Humphreyage, who we all know was created <laughs> when our lovely host captured Barry Humphreys and surgically modified him to be... Surgically modified him to be exactly one half Barry Humphreys half Dame Edna. The two sides bicker and fight constantly, at war with one another. Uh, following close behind are our Canadian friends, born under punches. And they're fine. We haven't, we haven't done anything to them. They're, they're just normal people. We haven't turned them into monsters or anything like that. They're alive. They're normal. I guess they're in a car or something. Uh, we just invited them because we like them. Uh, they are very close to Dame Edry Humphreyage, though. The whole, <laughs> the whole arena goes silent as thousands of melodicas start playing. Within seconds, the arena is filled with blueies and bingos. They march in perfect lockstep, all of them carrying rifles with bayonets. Behind them, riding, oh my God. Behind them, riding a giant platform shaped like, a, shaped like a bunch of cartoon dog skulls, it's me, the Grand Necrarch Lucas, Emperor Undying and Lord of Dark Brisbane. I'm wearing a lovely sequin robe with a very high collar. I have a very long staff with skulls on it, and I'm dancing like the dad from Bluey's intro. Because you see, because you see, the fan theory we made up about Bluey being army propaganda turned out to be true. In fact, everything we've ever said on the podcast turned out to be true. As Grand, <laughs> as Grand Necrock, I'm extremely smart. As I dance, I think to myself that if we do 26 normal episodes a year, and then 12 bonus episodes as a, episode 10, then, that, then yeah, that's right. That's a thousand episodes over 10 years. The bluey, oh my God. the bluey intro goes faster. It builds to a crescendo, and instead of everyone yelling the word bluey at the end, everyone screams, join the army. And all the blueys and bingos <gasps> fire their guns into the air like, like outlaw bandits. What the fuck? It's, it's then that another float appears. A massive outhouse. As it rolls into the center of the arena, the, door, the massive door starts to slam. 
The bang grows faster, louder, stronger. Soon the whole outhouse is shaking apart, smashing to pieces. With one last crash, a giant toilet explodes out of the shattering structure. And there, floating in the bowl, in a giant brown inner tube, it's Grand Necrock Josie, Lord High Executioner and Witchmaster of Dark Lockyer Valley. Josie, how are you today? What a wild ride. Uh, I'm stunned. Yeah, I can see it in my mind's eye. It's beautiful. How are you enjoying the, the closing ceremony of the Australian Gothic Olympics? Ah, uh, look, it's beautiful. All the little all the little piggies in the crowd. Uh, the goose-stepping fucking bingos and blueies or whatever. Oh, my God. Yeah, <laughs> I, am, I am very... Yeah, yeah, it's a real shame that we are racist now and and of and leaders of a fascist <laughs> state. But uh, but look, uh, you know, maybe it, it was something that was inevitable. Maybe as a long running Australian series, we were uh, either doomed to become racist if we weren't already. And uh, look, mm-hmm. I also we have like zombie Juan Antonio Samarank here. Like he was, he actually served in a fascist <laughs> state, uh, Franco of Spain. Jesus. Yeah, so you know, it's kind of appropriate we have him here. <laughs> We regret talking about how our favorite historical fascist on Born Under Punch's stream. That the signs were there all along. Yeah, yeah. Uh, look, that's okay. You, if anyone asks you this question, just say say Salvador Dali. Uh, it's it's fine. Oh I can't believe I I blitzed that question and you struggled. You, I don't know. I just okay. No, I'm I'm not going to give further context. If people want to know what that's about. You should have tuned in. Otherwise, you can go to Born Under Punch's um, stream. Look, I believe Kelly is about to have that stream out. So it'll be very exciting to watch it after the Mm. Australian Gothic Olympics closing ceremony uh, when we return to our (laughs) Doom Fortress. Uh, Sorry, our our separate Doom Fortresses, which are side by side, where we live with our families. Who are are fine. Our families are fine. We're we're Grand Necrox now. They're normal. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, we're all anyway. We're all having a great time celebrating our thousandth episode. Yes, which is going to be on. Probably going to be called Wake and Fright Two: Wake Frighter, uh, which is a movie that <laughs> I produced as Grand Necrock. But then I, Grand Necrock Lucas, have a revelation. I I become unstuck in time, and all of a sudden, which is not unusual for me, being like an undead, you know, <laughs> an undead lich or something like that, uh, which we all know happened in happened in episode five hundred and eighty. Fuck it, let's become liches. I remember it fondly. Yes, yes, our many episodes. And I become unstuck in time, and I remember this isn't our thousandth episode. And neither of us are liches. None of this is real. I realize I'm sitting at a computer reading from a script. I'm looking at the notes for episode 10, and there's nine fucking pages. This episode is so long, and I better oh, not no. waste time by doing a fucking intro where we're vampires or some shit. <laughs> uh, I'm really sorry, everyone. How long? Okay, seven, seven and a half. Seven minutes and 16 seconds. That's not bad. I can trim it's some of this. It's been good. There was some it's dead been air. Good. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm I'm really sorry, everyone. On Friday night, I was holding my my baby, trying to get him to sleep, and the prompt Australian Gothic Brisbane Olympics just popped into my head, and I couldn't help myself. I wrote I wrote fan fiction for That's my own right. podcast. That is so funny and sad. Yes, yes. But but today's episode, uh, which we will get to the meat of right now, is is on the Sydney 2000 Olympics. And I could not think of a better episode for our 10th. Yeah. Even though I've wasted nearly 10 minutes, do we have any housekeeping or dad chat? Um, not really. First of all, um, that was so funny to me because there were two parts that I locked onto. When you first mentioned Nikki Webster's age, I was like, this motherfucker has Googled 
how old Nikki Webster is and done the math. And then you later spoke about doing the math for how, like, how long it will take for us to get a thousand um, episodes at our current rate. It, it will be, yeah, it will not be a thousand episodes unless yeah, something you comes did the badly, math. badly wrong or right. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, otherwise, um, no dad chat. I've got a can of beer. I've got Green Beacon Brewing Co. No longer independent, oh. um, but still really yummy. Wayfarer Tropical Pale Ale. Just letting people know that I'll be normal. Oh, okay. I'll be oh. more normal this episode. I also don't really have any dad chat. Things are going well. Um, my kids are crazy. Life is great. Uh, I, I don't <laughs> have any beer. I don't drink on Monday. So I'm, I'm having, uh, yeah, peppermint tea again, which, you know, uh, maybe that's a bad thing. No, no, it's good. This is like a good test. So if I have booze, you have no booze. Let's see what our silly sausage rating is. Oh, man, I think um, it might be worse. Maybe this yeah. is worse than us both being sober. <laughs> maybe. This episode is going to be fully run by Lucas. Uh, but before we get started, I just want to acknowledge that this episode of Australian Gothic is being recorded on Yagara, Turrbal, and Quandamooka land. And that sovereignty, I've learned how to say that word properly now, sovereignty was never ceded. Uh, and it's and it's good of you to do that because we will be tackling, um, due to it being the Sydney 2000 Olympics, um, politics is going to come up a decent amount. Uh, yeah, and we will oh, be talking about um, some of the politics that happened around the Olympics and, you know, some of it, you know, to do with like, you know, uh, discussions within indigenous communities about like the, the Olympics and whether they should take part or not but that's getting down the line by way of structure I'm going to start with a little disclaimer uh, then we're going to talk about where we were during the Sydney 2000 Olympics um, we're going to talk about some of the political climate in Australia before just before the Olympics and like during the Olympics um, we're going to talk about the treatment of the treatment of homeless people uh, then the games themselves then the then just the best anecdotes that people told us when we like spoke to everyone on Twitter, and finally like the costs and legacy of the Sydney 2000 Olympics because uh, yeah uh, I really believe it when I describe the Sydney 2000 Olympics as a crater on Australian culture. I think it was something that a lot of people loved and then like missed dearly the second it finished. Yeah. But first, uh, some disclaimers. A lot of you were talking about the show, The Games. Unfortunately, because it's very old, it's very hard to find. I have it now. I've only watched about two episodes, so I don't really... We're not going to talk about it a heap. Uh, my apologies. I just really didn't get the chance to get that deep into it. Uh, what I've seen is extremely funny, is, you know, extremely... We do some fucking good deadpan comedy, and we were doing it before The Office. Because I know, like, The Office is <laughs> sort of like... The Office in the thick of it is sort of considered, like the high points of that genre of like docudrama, very dry observational comedy. But uh, we were doing that for so long in the 90s. But anyway, so it'll the games will either be its own episode or included in an eventual Clark and Door episode. So uh, yeah, I thank you all for your patience. Also, the next disclaimer is kind of some good news. Um, we will not spend too much time discussing Nikki Webster because she is going to be the subject of our first bonus episode. I wasn't just talking shit and nonsense in the intro. We are releasing our first bonus episode, which will come out on this show's Patreon, which will come out roughly this time next week. So the Thursday after this episode comes out. Uh, I hope you all check it out. I've been researching it. I am very excited for that episode. Josie, is there <laughs> anything else? Nah, I'm, I'm keen to get in. Thank you uh, in advance, I guess, for all the work that you've done, but also uh, maybe you've gone on mad ramblings for nine pages, so I'll hold off on the facts. <laughs> 
Look, that's okay. And, uh, and as you all would have seen if you follow us on Twitter, I a lot of this episode is sourced from the anecdotes of people who listen to the show or people who found us on Twitter. I tweeted from the Australian Gothic account, hey, can you tell us about like your experience at the Olympics? What was it like? Chiefly, if you were in Australia, what was what do you remember about it and if you are overseas do you remember it at all and uh, and yeah we'll get into some of those responses later but i think we should discuss uh, where we were in life josie can you tell us sort of what was going on in your life and you know <laughs> how did you experience the sydney 2000 olympics where were you in 2000 uh 2000 uh i would have been six turning seven that year i remember I tried digging it up and I haven't been able to find it yet um I remember being so excited for Sydney 2000 um because everywhere you went there was Sydney 2000 merch available for sale there were things that you could collect at McDonald's there were things that you could collect in the newspaper I lived in Deception Bay which is like a you know low SES area not a lot is happening in Deception Bay the, the Olympic torch was being um, was going to be like carried through Deception Bay, and that was a huge huge deal. And I remember going and getting a glimpse of what I thought was the single Olympic torch. Um, <laughs> when they said there was a relay, I thought, oh my god, these people are holding the same torch all around Australia. That is incredible. No one explained to me that there were multiple torches. Uh, anyway, so that's very recent devastating news for me. Um, but otherwise, yeah, um, you know, Y2K didn't happen. Um, so that was good. Otherwise, yeah, just the whole world was ahead of me. And I was very excited for the swimming. That's the only thing that I remember my family were excited for. What about you, Lucas? Oh, that's great. I'm really, look, I'm honestly kind of happy. I was just thinking about what if it was the one torch and how dirty and greasy it would get from like all the different be hands disgusting. touching it. I think it's always been multiple torches, though. I'm not quite sure because there was this big thing about like, oh, you sort of like light them. But uh, where I was, um, yeah, I was 13 at the time, you know, about to in my last year of primary school. Uh, I remember the hype extremely well, like all the national pride, all the the weird pride that Australia had at the time. Uh, mm -hmm. My dad, who was a radio presenter at the time, actually ran with the Olympic torch or with an Olympic torch. Oh. It was up a huge hill in Ipswich and he was not a physically fit man, which was extremely <laughs> funny to me. I, sadly at the time, even though it was funny, I think I was uh, mad because we wouldn't be home until very late and I wanted to go home and watch TV. So I think I got like impatient. I think it was like, it was uh, delayed a little bit because they were getting a lot of like older people and sort of like infirm people. And so like, yeah, sometimes the torch running got a little bit delayed as they waited for it to like get to different mm. places. That's cute. So I spent at least one week of the games on holiday with a friend at Stradbroke Island before discovering we didn't like each other and going home early. <laughs> oh, what? Okay, I gotta hear this some other time because that sounds amazing. Oh, it's just look. I think it's just an, an a common like childhood experience where like you you know sometimes you're friends with someone and then you realize oh particularly like during puberty you sometimes like grow apart and you're just like oh okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh yeah. See, I did that within one day. <laughs> I'd be, and then I'd just like, I'd say, oh, we're going to do all these really like insert, really arduous, boring activities here. Um, so a few times I, this sounds really awful now I'm saying it out loud. Sometimes I manipulated friends into going home early 
Um, oh. I'd be like, oh, you feel sick? I'm so sorry to hear that. Because I'd be like, yeah, we're going to eat as many magic noodles as we can. And the first one that vomits wins. And then they'd be like, oh, I want to go home. Oh, I think I... I had no intention of doing that. <laughs> oh, no. I was counting on them going home. Look, I think I might have done that as well, but I think I just started playing video games. That's really funny too. Sorry, anyway, side sidebar. Okay, no, no, that's fine. Uh, anyway, I think I then spent the rest of the Olympics because, you know, my family are not really into sports and, you know, not really into track and field, not really into swimming. Like, uh, I think I spent <laughs> the rest of it watching the 24-hour Simpsons marathon on uh, Fox 8 on yes. cable. Uh, but I, I really liked the opening and closing ceremonies of the Olympics just because I was a little theatre kid weirdo. So uh, we're going to talk, now going to talk about the climate in Australia before the game, sort of some of the political stuff that was happening at the time. A big one that we got from a couple of people who tweeted us was, uh, I didn't realise, or firstly, I wasn't really aware of these. Um, the S11 protests happened three days earlier in Melbourne. Uh, the Olympics started on, yeah, sorry, two days earlier, sorry. Uh, the Olympics started on September 15th. The S11 protests happened on the 11th, 12th and 13th of September the marches were against the World Economic Forum, which was happening on those days. Uh, the World Economic Forum is basically a giant lobbying group made up of thousands of huge companies working to roll back labor laws and undermine governments. They're ghouls. Uh, there was something like mm -hmm. 10,000 protesters, and they were met with an astonishing level of violence by Victorian police. What? I mean, I'm not surprised about the letter, but like, I've never heard of this in my life. No, I, I wasn't aware of this, but yeah, we'll get to some tweets from some people. Like, uh, yeah, the cops beat up unarmed protesters, used pepper spray, which wasn't even like mm -hmm. legal for them to use at the time. And they all had their faces. What? Yeah, somehow they had pepper spray. Or maybe they had it, but they weren't permitted to use it on protesters or something like that. Anyway, they uh, they violated a lot of laws. Um. Uh, oh. And they didn't have their faces or name tags visible, so no, none of them oh. could be reported. Really cool stuff. Holy shit. Holy shit. Yeah, utterly fucked. And uh, we have two tweets. Uh, one from uh, user AK AKFRU. Uh, it was straight after the S11 protests, and coming back from M Melbourne felt like moving into an alternate universe from brutal police violence into a celebration did my head in. Jesus. And then another from user with sober senses, uh, quote, coming back from the S11 protests and feeling like I was in a different world. Because, yeah, you would have been in this, like, this nightmare of, like, state-mandated mm -hmm. violence. And then all of a sudden it's just like, yay, how good is Australia? That's fucking wild. Yeah. The other thing that was happening in the years leading up to Sydney 2000 uh, was Prime Minister John Howes Howard refusing to apologise to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders for the brutal relocation program that has come to be known as the Stolen Generation. Oof. This was fallout from the findings of the 1997 Bring Them Home report, which, you know, confirmed to no one's shock that the forced relocation, aka abduction, of Indigenous children and putting them into white families was an attempt at a cultural genocide and actual genocide, uh, it was a massive human rights violation and a trauma that mm. in affects Indigenous Australians to this day, uh, Indigenous peoples to this day. In the lead up to the Sydney 2000 Olympics, there was an ongoing debate within Indigenous communities about whether or not uh, they should take part in the Olympics or boycott it. Mm. You know, particularly the opening ceremony, which features like a large segment of Indigenous, you know, dancers and performers. I actually found a really interesting piece on this debate uh, from 2020, where they actually interviewed the Yolnu elder who acted alongside Nikki Webster for the bulk of the opening ceremony, a man named Jakapura Manyarian. Uh, sorry if I mangled that. 
he speaks about the experience quite positively a lot of them had never been to like sydney before or been to cities before so a lot of them were like quite happy and excited to be involved in the olympics the article mm -hmm. also spoke to the choreographer of that segment which was called the awakenings of stephen page who was quite a well-known uh indigenous choreographer yeah he faced a lot of pressure to you know boycott it as well and as a way of like meeting in the middle he helped choreograph the protest march from circular k to victoria park yeah there were a lot of people saying like oh it's important for us for indigenous people to be involved and have voices involved yeah all i can say is i can um see why some people take the approach of well if the whole world is gonna see you know it's the opportunity for the whole world to um see that indigenous peoples are still here um like i could i, I can see that um perspective as well as like the whole anti um anti-imperialist perspective as well so yeah but obviously my opinion does not matter in this yeah one positive thing about like the opening and closing ceremonies and we uh and we'll get to you know kathy freeman's event is there was this real voice of resistance by a lot of the performers or you know this put cool. or, or this push to like say sorry we will get to the closing ceremony because that's arguably where it's the strongest okay okay uh, do you want to hear about how what they did to homeless people i already vaguely know i don't know the details um basically the the extent of my knowledge is that at least for a lot of um people on the waiting list or at least like the waiting to relocate list for housing commission um a lot of people were moved up to like a brand new estate or like homes in um Newcastle uh so Raymond Terrace in Newcastle apparently a lot of people moved up there around the year 2000 um because of attempts to sort of you know get the pores out of Sydney um and then move them to a place where there wasn't necessarily the industry to support um you know a whole like an increased population but yeah that that's literally the extent of it i know so please depress me okay yeah so uh this piece i'm gonna be citing a lot of stuff i've really done a josie on this one so please bear with me but uh <laughs> oh, no. this first piece i'm reading is uh oh, sorry this piece is also cited in the bunta vista episode on olympics cost overrun uh, uh that episode was also very helpful in research so thank you to ben and theo uh this piece is from Mary Beadnell from from the World Socialist website from third uh, of February two thousand three called Sydney's homeless to be removed for Olympics. Uh, quote: A city council task force will draw up a dossier on every homeless person in the city, detailing all aspects of their right. lives. The dossiers are meant to include information that can be used to induce people off the streets and into boarding houses or hostels. What? A quote unquote flying squad of social workers will have first contact with the homeless and then rely on police to remove those unwilling to cooperate. Oh my god. Among homeless people, hostels and boarding houses throughout the Sydney metropolitan area have a reputation of being more dangerous than the streets because of the increasing frequency of violent assaults, theft, and food poisoning that occur there. Oh my god. Sydney City Council rangers and private security guards employed by various local and Olympics authorities have been handed new powers to remove, uh, quote-unquote, by reasonable force, anyone deemed a nuisance quote-unquote offences ranging from drinking alcohol to demonstrating, begging or camping in the rocks, Circular K, Darling Harbour and Olympic sites will be subject to the new measures. And this is something that seems to happen at every Olympics. 
good on them for having social workers be the ones to make first contact mm. instead of the cops but like other than that mm. no it's uh it's all pretty horrible because even then the social workers are coming and being like hey can you get out of sydney for a bit they're still being a tool of the state in that instance it's just butter it's it's just like here here's like the bare minimum before we uh coerce you out oh my god you'd think that like uh, you know for for our listeners like my major is in policing i did not know that they were given extra powers at the time of the olympics um i didn't know they were fucking like why okay i'm sorry why are they Ooh, sorry, it's just like, oh, we're going to learn all there is about, you know, these people on the streets, not because we think that maybe we should help them and see if they need anything, but because they're literally unsightly and not desirable. And so, and yeah, I don't know if I've mentioned it on the show, but like my dad was homeless. I saw him homeless um, as a teenager. Oh, wow. And obviously I don't need that to empathize but it just makes me so so mad um yeah fuck (laughs) a cab but like fuck me dead that is horrible that is horrible i didn't super understand like some of the situations that can cause a person to become homeless but i did like a quite a bit of video work with housing and really got to understand like ah these people tend to be like you know, mentally ill or, you know, victims of abuse or, like, you know, victims of ongoing Mm -hmm. abuse. You know, these are people who, like, need to be supported. And, you know, it's... Mm -hmm. And, you know, fortunately, like, you know, we did a lot of stuff covering, you know, like, the response to COVID-19 and, you know, how these people were, like, housed. Uh, I wonder what situations those people are in now. I I don't work with housing anymore. Uh, Uh, But, uh, yeah, it's it's really grim that these are, like, people who are, like, super vulnerable and it's just, like, no, we just got to, like, sort of sweep them under the rug for a bit but it's also interesting because it's like in the cases where they were able to get people into homes or like at least like semi-stable housing it it, like this is what i i said this about like you know back in covid19 where they doubled you know centrelink payments overnight and lifted a whole bunch of people out of poverty overnight by and large poverty and homelessness is a policy choice it is, it is something that the government can choose to solve in one way or another overnight. And it's only when it's within their interests, near future interests to do it. Fucking yeah, hell. Yeah, it fucking sucks. Uh, we've, we now come into some more tweets from our, from our beautiful listeners. Uh, first one from a friend of the show, uh, Jules Furious, who actually had a lot to say and uh, provided a lot of sources. So thank you very much, Jules, for your help with this. Sneak peek behind the curtain. Jules will be our first guest uh, guest on an upcoming bonus episode. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to share that one with you. That is going to be a fun one. A rare fun and like hopefully happy Australian Gothic <laughs> episode, I hope. Quote, they moved all the unhoused people out of Sydney slash Homebush in the months beforehand and uh, in parentheses, maybe house them during the games but and unhouse them again after the games finished um this tees up with the rest of the article which i read uh there's another one from uh user miss kylie 77 quote it's a timeless olympic trope i heard of one poor japanese bloke who was moved out in 1960 and then again in 2020 and i found the abc article about this a gentleman named kohei jino yeah uh, it's real it fucking sucks no what happened he was evicted from his family home to clear the way for the construction of the National Stadium for the 1964 Tokyo Olympics. 
What? He was sad but proud to contribute to Japan in a moment of national triumph. But, but then oh. he was evicted again in 2013 at age 80 so the government could rebuild the stadium for the 2020 games. It felt like a bit of twisted fate made worse by what he saw as official indifference. Oh my god. Sorry, reading the article, it also forced him and his wife... Yasko out of a tight-knit public housing community in the neighborhood where they'd lived for over half a century. Far out. The Olympics have really, I mean, we're going to talk about this at length later, but like the, the Olympics have really just screwed over a lot of people throughout its its history. Uh, oh, oh, I should have uh, also disclosed at the start that Josie and I both live in Brisbane, which uh, has one, I might <laughs> add, with not a lot of competition, the uh 2032 olympic games uh, a lot of people are very excited for it uh, the more i research this episode uh, as someone who very much hopes to still be living in brisbane in 2032 mm-hmm. we are not excited for the 2032 olympic games uh, i have one more tweet from user jacob vardy uh this is intense i was set quote i was 17 and my first share house was in redfern i woke up one morning to hear that in the middle of the night the rum corpse uh parentheses new south wales police raided the block putting everyone on buses with one-way tickets to Wollongong and told them not to come back. What the fuck? (laughs) So literally just being like, you're going to the end of the line and you're on your own. Just forced relocation. Like, is there anything for them in Wollongong? Like like you've said, is there any infrastructure to support uh, this sudden influx of, like, you know, vulnerable people who probably need a lot of support? Uh, Yeah, probably just like... And what community they have is there. Um, mm. I'm sure in a future episode we'll talk about the show The Block, but as I mentioned on my other podcast, A Hill to Die On, when people come in and say, oh yeah, here, move away to this other place. You know, here's a semi-temporary home, which they weren't doing here by the sounds of it. But it's like you're removing them from the, the, the consistency, like the consistent services that they do have access to and what community they have built. That's so fucking atrocious. And, and social workers and medical systems. Mm-hmm. And yeah, just what family yeah. they do have. Like, yeah, it's fucking disgusting. After that deeply depressing shit, do you want to talk about the games themselves? Yeah, sure. Let's go for it. Should we, especially for our overseas listeners, um, they might not remember, but there were, um, there were the Olympic mascots. I remember there being, what was it? Sid, Ollie. And Millie. And Millie. Oh, oh yeah, for the millennium. Yeah. Right, right, right. I wasn't too interested in the sports themselves, you know, being a chubby child, (laughs) not very sporty. I liked swimming recreationally, but that was about it. But I loved collecting all the little sort of memorabilia, like merch stuff. I had a Sydney 2000 bedspread and curtains and some plush things. I just loved it. I wanted my whole room to be Sydney 2000. It felt as a kid, like, I mean, time doesn't mean anything anyway, but, like, I remember thinking Sydney 2000 is just, like, this is the future, baby. This is the most important thing that's ever happened. <laughs> ever. Yes. How cringe. Oh, God. Look, you you as a six-year-old, look, look, there were... We got tweets from probably very kind-hearted and naive, like, you know, the, the, the Twitter for iPad set who like saw my tweet yeah. and didn't see that it came from a podcast called Australian Gothic with like ominous lettering and like an eerie picture. Yeah. Who like very earnestly was just like, oh, it was the greatest thing ever. It was a, it was the, the end of history, which we will get into. Yes, which I don't think is a, the, the if they're talking about their feeling at the time, I don't think that that's necessarily, like I, I would believe that totally. 
Yeah, yeah, and not to not to talk shit too much about these people, because yeah, that's that's fine. That's kind of it's nice that they think that, and you know, you know, parts of it were <laughs> parts of it were very positive. I was there. I you know mostly bought into the hype. Like you, I bought all the little fucking pins you got in the newspaper. Yes. You cut out the thing and took it to yes. your news agent and got the <sighs> pins that I don't remember. Oh my god. You are bringing up, like, deep-seated memories. Holy shit, I remember it. I remember my little disgusting, grubby, sweaty hands <laughs> taking my, um, like, and, like, getting the ink black on my fingers oh. and taking the little coupon up to Deception Bay News Agency and getting my pin. <laughs> Hell yeah. Oh. Um, oh, amazing. Even I, as a 13-year-old, and you know, at that age, like 12, 13, you are really expected to, like, not be interested in, like, kiddie things anymore. I like the mascots. I thought they were cool. Even even though I did find it funny when Roy and HG just took an irrational disliking to, I think, Ollie, the, the kookaburra? <laughs> I think Ollie was the kookaburra, and just referred to them as Sid, Millie, and Dickhead. <laughs> it sounds like a radio show ready to happen <laughs> but yeah sorry to, to butt in look uh, i in terms of the olympics um i really liked the opening ceremony i remember watching uh, getting to about three and a half hours in and thinking like oh this is a bit long but i'm enjoying it because like there are segments where like particularly when the athletes came in where like i didn't really didn't really care that much i attempted to watch it again saw that it was was reminded that it was nearly four and a half hours long and just kind of like skimmed through it i i liked i liked the song under the southern skies i listened to it again like nikki webster you know her career we will discuss that in our bonus episode but you know she was a very accomplished singer at that age and i found under the southern skies like i remember hearing it thinking like wow this is a lovely song i also really liked john farnham and olivia newton john song r.i.p dare to dream i still vividly remember that Mm-hmm. The one thing I remember even thinking at the time is like at 13, I was aware of like colonization and, you know, the frontier wars and, you know, how some of the atrocities done to uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. And I remember thinking, hey, Australian history is like kind of short. How are they going to how are they going to like brush over like all the atrocities that have been done in the name of creating Australia? Mm-hmm. And it turns out... Oh, we could do it. Tap dancing. Oh, no. Sorry, I just remember... <gasps> oh, my gosh. <laughs> sorry, have you... Have... Sorry, I'm getting... With these, like, dudes... Okay, I'm sorry. There is something deep in my soul, or brain, both, that's being digged up right now. Were there people in, like, work clothes tap dancing? Yes, yes. What? Uh, that's like a fever dream. Yep, yep. Uh... What? What's the go there? Tell me about that. Okay, so... I. If I recall correctly, again, I skimmed through it. Um, they do, you know, this, it kind of leads with uh, the indigenous segment called The Awakening with lots of indigenous oh dancers. It's very nice. Uh, Nikki Webster plays Hero Girl, you know, like a little girl at the beach who is kind of like, you know, flies on wires over everyone. And then her and the Yolnu Elder I mentioned before, they kind of, what they stand on a platform and watch as like tap dancing tradies. Mm. Kind, it's kind of implied oh, start to it. construct Australia. Stop it! Stop it! This was. <gasps> Wait, I bet they're not gonna. They're not gonna dress blackbirding, are they? No, no, uh, no. They have. Oh. There's a bunch of guys with mowers are gonna come out and make like a big Olympic logo, the five rings Stop with it. mowers. Stop it! Stop I've it! Seen this I can't. With, no, I've seen this in other shit before. There was this real preoccupation in Australian culture with mowers, and I'm just like, but fucking everywhere has mowers. Why have we made this our thing? And it's like the sausage and bread thing was like. Oh, well, everyone has lawns, so everyone does the mowing. Please stop talking about blackbirding. 
and the Frontier Wars and the Stolen Generation. Look, they're building a big Olympic logo. Isn't that... I can't... This is... Perfectly kitsch. Sorry, I've... I've... Sorry, I didn't watch this, I don't think. Or at least I didn't... I haven't thought about it in a really long time. It would have been six. Especially with what I know now. It went really late. Like, my, my parents were watching it on the TV in their room. We had a tv that my sister and i fought over in the in like our playroom so yeah we i was watching it and even i like staying up really late i think it finished at like 11 o'clock or some shit like that it went really late so it wouldn't shock me if you like clocked out at one point but holy shit oh my god that is so cringe this is like distilling so far even just with what you've said is like distilling everything that we like are skeptical about in terms of like you know, settler colonial, like, Australia culture. Like, mowers, haha. Surprised they didn't have a fucking democracy sausage, like, sausage and bread stall there. Oh my god. The internet didn't really exist at that point to turn it into a meme. True. Um, True. One other thing I should point out about this scene, I had my own little, like, memory unlocked uh, thing that happened during the tap dance and construction workers thing. Uh, This sort of (sighs) style of dance was, like, kind of big for a hot second in Australia, sort of at the end of the 90s, start of the 80s. I remember a movie about like, you know, hot, you know, you know, rough, you know, rough tradie types who really get into like sort of stomp style musical theater, you know, where you turn everyday items into like percussive shit, you know, turn like buckets into drums and stuff like that. Like, you know, stomp was really big on like Broadway and like made its way out to radiated out to the rest of the world i remember a movie of some kind where like these rough tradies you know go to a pub and they have like you know a dance off and it's but it's real manly and they're wearing steel cap boots and i if anyone knows what this movie is please let me know because like this revisiting the olympics reminded me like oh yeah that was briefly a thing for a second onto the rest of the olympics itself i sat down and finally rewatched kathy freeman winning the 400 meter gold I remember watching it at the time, but yeah, like like you said, uh, she had the cool suit. It made her very aerodynamic. Uh, I am not someone who knows a lot about track and field, and particularly watching it as a kid, I was just like, "Oh, really? I'm disappointed, Lucas. <laughs> this is the one thing I expected." I from anyone you. who's seen me can tell, like, "Wow, I bet that guy runs fast and is really coordinated." and doesn't get really tired like walking upstairs (laughs) even now watching it you know i'm still not someone who is super aware of like you know how you are meant to run in those events i could watch it and still be like oh wow okay this is a super pro athlete that has trained really hard and her everything about the way she's moving is calculated and poised and and i admit i was captivated a little bit i found it a little bit breathtaking watching her steadily pull away because she's kind of in the middle for most of it. And then at the end, she just starts to like pull away and get further and further away. And I imagine the margin she won by would have been like quite shocking at the time. Like it was big or? Like, it, yeah, like it was like big. Correct me if you are someone who knows about track and field. I know nothing. We get to another one of those little moments of resistance during the Olympics. Um, and she had done this before, I believe, at the 1994 Commonwealth Games. I believe, uh, you know, please correct me if I'm wrong. People do a victory lap where they carry their national flag. Kathy Freeman had the Australian flag and the Aboriginal flag. Good. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Now, something that was very useful in researching this episode is an article from Junkie by Mike DeWall from the 18th of September 2015 titled Go You Good Thing, the, si- the 2000 Sydney Olympics uh, Remembered 15 Years On. Mm-hmm. He says that like, oh, this wasn't controversial, but uh, no, this was controversial. 
controversial with like you know culture war fuckheads which you know have always existed yeah because again my dad was in radio on a conservative radio station so yeah people were calling in about like she shouldn't have done that yeah those really people are all dead now i mean i don't know why i'm surprised everyone thought it was really cool but yeah there were absolutely like grumbling chud fuckwits who were mad about like kathy freeman running with that flag even though she'd done it before i think they took umbrage with the fact that she mainly she gave prominence to the aboriginal flag and sort of allowed the australian <gasps> flag to sort of like be present but like you know dangle a little bit but also like the fact sorry the fact that she had the australian flag at all i'm like she she was i feel like she was maybe giving a little more than i don't i don't know what her opinions are of course but um being probably being yeah probably being more accommodating than <laughs> <laughs> than, you know, someone else might yeah. be. Yeah, exactly. The other sporting moment that I revisited was uh, Ian Thorpe winning the men's 400 meter swimming. Yes. Uh, that was also something where like, yeah, again, I do not know about swimming. I remember once in like my year 12 swimming carnival uh, being put in to do the butterfly stroke as a joke. Oh no, that's the worst stroke. I, I can't do the fucking butterfly. Like everyone else was like proper swimmers. I think I just fucking stopped and just started doing like a freestyle or a breaststroke or something like that because i can't do the fucking butterfly <laughs> stroke it's very hard butterfly is so hard i think too th- I, I don't know if it was generally around that time or if it was specifically for um sydney 2000 but i do remember like knowing all the names of like all the top swimmers in australia like olympian swimmers i remember there being like five or six really good australian swimmers around that time that everyone would get excited for it was a real thing like the american swimmers were like famously bragged that like oh we will smash the australian swimmers like guitars and then like ian Thorpe went on to like bring so many medals you know himself and then like yeah. in relays and yeah the four his 400 meter freestyle performance was like legit breathtaking again it's like i don't know anything about the form i am i i am a functional swimmer not an elegant one uh but even watching <laughs> him it's just like okay yeah this guy is like the watching him like pull ahead like further and further ahead over the course of it was just like okay fuck this is riveting i'm starting to understand what you sporty types like about this and uh, yeah yeah and i'm starting to understand a little bit about the appeal of the olympics like for a split second it got me i actually with like the most recent olympics i loved watching weightlifting that was and diving those were the two like really cool sports as much as I hate like the institution of the Olympics itself like it was so cool watching all that and seeing all these people who were just spectacular at their what they do um it was really it's really cool it's objectively cool to see but that when you speak of the swimming I saw that on Twitter people brought up Eric the Eel, is that his name? Eric Musambani, uh Eric the Eel, uh that that segment is wonderful uh, I was going to talk about that next. Uh, I, again, wasn't really aware of this. I'm mostly aware of it just because of the Royan HG segment. Uh, Eric Mosambani, uh was a swimmer from Equatorial Guinea. He had never swum in an Olympic-style pool before. He had only ever swum in lakes. No access to professional facilities. Eric Mosambani ended up having the whole pool to himself when his two competitors were disqualified for an early start. Uh, he <laughs> swam one of the slowest times in the history of the 100 meters. Uh, 100 meter freestyle and was visibly struggling near the end uh everyone probably chiefly knows this through what we'll be discussing next um the show uh the dream by roy and hg where they they start off making fun of him everyone was kind of making fun of him because haha look this guy his forms forms pretty shitty but then you realize like okay this guy did not have the 
facilities that all these you know olympians from like the developed world like had and over the course of the broadcast like it does actually get nice and you see like the stadium like everyone starts cheering him on yeah yeah and even roy and hg like dropping the mockery and just being like oh no look at him he's doing it like he's he's really doing it like there's yeah fuck yeah there, there is a streak of like once again in australia we have this thing about like supporting the little guy about being a battler it the is, underdog it is, yeah, about yeah underdogs it is mostly like horse shit that is used you know to make everyone feel like they are the protagonist of reality or you know mm -hmm. politicians like to use it to manipulate people into voting for them but this was actually a moment of that where people were just like oh look at him he's fucking doing it and he's not giving up that's really nice it was really moving because i watched the clip to understand what it was and yeah like seeing everyone cheer him on and him just doing it like yeah like i got teary and at the end he was he could not stop smiling and he was just he was so proud to represent his country and his people yeah it was really it was really emotional um when i watched it though like i was so happy for him and proud and emotional but then i was also emotional because i'm like europe and western imperialism has left so much of the world you know impoverished so that even if he wanted to access swimming facilities he couldn't mm -hmm. um and so i got mad but yeah it was really sweet and i did google it and he was like the first coach of the equatorial guinea like swimming league like he inspired a lot of people um in his home and also there was a woman who did the same thing as him but she didn't get nearly as much airtime huh Okay, I see. Yeah, that was that was interesting. Yeah, God, I didn't find that. That's damn. That's telling. Oof. Yeah. And also, like, I was also very happy to see that, like, yeah, whilst he had one of the slowest times, he eventually got it under fifty-seven seconds. So, like, he kept going. Yeah. And s yeah. sadly, was going to compete at the two thousand and four Athens Games, but due to a visa bungling, uh, he did not. Cool. But he has since become a coach, and he seems to be kicking ass. So, good on you, Eric. Yeah, I'm I'm stoked for him, and yeah, it was very nice, like seeing everyone be like, actually, fuck yeah, this dude rocks. Yeah. Like that was nice. <laughs> and uh, that kind of segues into the other thing that, uh, again, I didn't really appreciate until I was much older. Roy and mm -hmm. HG's The Dream is has aged very well and is extremely funny, which is rare in it's Australian so comedy. It like there obviously are a few moments where I'm like, oh, that's a bit rough. But watching the gymnastics, like. Have you watched any of the gymnastics, gymnastics Roy and HG? So funny. <laughs> gymnastics and synchronized swimming, and it's whenever the Hello Sailor and can see what he's had for breakfast and, and stuff like that. They, okay, for those of you who don't know, because I know we have some international listeners, and you know some of you do not fucking remember the Olympics. Uh, they even though Roy and HG did get some international attention. Roy and HG, I, I didn't know they were characters until this year, until I started researching this. They are played by Greg Pickhaber and John Doyle. Uh, they are a satire of, like, uh, sports commentators. Um, chiefly, you have, like, one overly enthusiastic, uh, sort of, like, nerdy commentator, and then, like, a former football player who's, like, a bit of a jockey lad kind of type. One, one thing I think that was particularly beautiful is that they kind of made the games more accessible, because even if you are someone mm -hmm. who knows a lot about sports, like, how many people know about gymnastics or fucking synchronized swimming or, or judo even? Like, you know, I get people knowing about, like, football oh, yeah. and cricket and stuff. So, like, you're not going mean, to... That was the thing that alienated me as a kid. It's like, I'm not going to know the difference between, like, a gymnast, you know, who gets a, gets a 10 and a gymnast who gets a 9. I'm not going to know to pick up those things. 
But uh, Roy and HG threw mm-hmm. their like silly commentary at the gymnastics by like calling the bit where they jump up a battered sav or the bit where they like leap on the ground. <laughs> right. Or when they leap on the ground, <laughs> the like the flat bag and you know, oh my the breakdancing bit is called the crazy date. And then when they sort of lie down on the ground, it's called a hello boys. Like it's, it's because the crazy date, like they're meaning because like dates like slang for butthole, right? Yeah. yeah. So that one always fucking tickles me. Yeah, he's doing the inverted crazy <laughs> date. Like, it's, it's, it's legit the, the funniest shit crazy. and so clever. And it probably <laughs> it probably did make the games more accessible to people. Because it's just like, okay, I'm not going to know what any of this shit is. But at least Roy and HG are kind of making it entertaining. Like, oh, yeah, that is that thing where the guy... like That is definitely an inverted crazy date. I can identify the, that. The breakdancing looking move is just called a crazy date now. <laughs> Even if that's not its formal name. <laughs> Oh, so good. Yeah, I also didn't realize that Roy and HG had been around for years. They were on Triple J since the 80s, and but this was like, you know, the dream and a lot of their shows that came afterwards were kind of considered like, you know, sort of the height of like, you know, Golden Age Roy and HG. So uh, I'm going to talk about some other tweets that people were talking about the Olympics. I'm chiefly, you know, I try to say this as politely as possible, like the, the very naive listeners who, so naive uh, people who tweeted us about their experience, like not realizing who we were maybe. Uh, we get a lot of tweets from people who talk about like how nice the vibe was in Sydney during the games, and you know, and this is probably true. Some people treat it like a two-week block party. Apparently, there was almost no interruptions to like you know public transport services in Sydney. It was not a hassle. Wow. Uh, people like took time off work and went to bars and through parties. And for a lot of like these older people, you know, with names like you know, Madge one 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 thirteen eight, you know, and we love you. we love you very much. I didn't take care to look at the rest of your tweets. I hope you're cool. A lot of these people, white, middle class, older, they probably not in danger of being thrown on a bus to Wollongong in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have to read out these free tweets from user Wuggle. Quote, it's difficult to express how white boomer the whole vibe was. They were the intended audience for all the media I saw and they were 95% of the people who could afford to attend events. I suspect Sydney 2000 has influenced the Australian white boomer aesthetic to this day yeah Mm, that's interesting (laughs) another thing i remember distinctly surprising given i was a child is how neoliberal the whole thing was gov was performing sweeps building cutesy unnecessary infrastructure and punishing failure to meet aesthetic standards and all this was very good according to the media uh we'll get to we'll we'll get to government building uh in the cost section at the end of this oh no yeah, and also probably my favorite tweet from user Probs Emily. Well, competing for my favorite tweet. There's another one that is my favorite tweet from Probs Emily. Quote, who the fuck is this child suspended from wires and why am I seeing this? <laughs> yeah, that's a very good question. Yeah, and this this teased the other thing, which is very funny. And we have other tweets getting into this, that for Australia, this was such a big deal. For the rest of the world, eh. Yeah, no, it, like I can't. I can't overemphasize how much of a big deal this was to the white middle class, at least, um, or like even just not even necessarily middle class, at least, um, or like, you know, those aspiring to be middle class as well. That's interesting. I've been thinking a lot about this because the only thing I know is that I believe that there was this atmosphere of excitement and possibility because... Not that I understood these things at the time, but you could get the vibe where it's like Cold War is allegedly ended. Y2K over. Um, <laughs> you know, 9-11 has not happened yet. 
And so it's like we're in a new era. It's the new millennium where there's all these new possibilities. Um, and well, at least that's what was sold. Um, and I think that white Australia especially lapped that up because this is Australian Gothic um, and I am myself. I think that that is true for only the intended audience. I think that is obviously all a lie and a very neoliberal lie because um, that would have been, well, absolutely in the John Howard days, uh, who is the best at being a neolib, <laughs> in my opinion. So you really see, we'll get to this in later tweets, there was this real, like I said, like longing for the glory days of the Olympics and the Olympics were kind of like this promise of like Australia is going to become like is going to step up and become like you know considered Australia has always been like you know the chunky awkward sibling of like our big brother <laughs> and cousins America and the UK mm. and uh we were finally going to step up and like get to hang out with the cool kids and we did for a little bit but then you know everything just went back to normal and, afterwards or well we did in terms of joining a forever war <laughs> yeah. a few years later we got to we got to hang out with the cool kids. That is that is bitter laughter. Uh, bitter, <laughs> bitter sad laughter. Yeah. But no, you're totally right, though. It's like, this is our time to make a name for ourselves. And everyone's like, okay. Yeah, okay, that's done. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> uh, yeah. we'll, get to, we'll get to that because now we're going to talk about the closing ceremony. And honestly, it was pretty good. Um, there was some really, like, they really brought the big guns out and got some good music. Um uh, they do an F-111 flyover, and that was meant to be, like, how... The, okay, that's that, cool. That was how the torch went out. We need to do an F-111 episode. Uh, I love those planes. My highlights are John Paul Young. There's, like, a 10-minute version of Love is in the Air, and it kicks ass. That song is great. Uh, if you don't know who John Paul Young is, uh, Love is in the Air is the song from Strictly Ballroom, if you saw that movie. I know, No, I just know the song. Yeah, yeah. It kicks ass. Um, uh, they have Tommy Emmanuel, who does, like, this big kick-ass guitar set. Uh, there are a bunch of floats designed by Mambo artist Reg Mombasa. Jimmy Barnes comes out. Uh, international listeners may know Jimmy Barnes as Screaming Sky Cowboy. <laughs> a live Jimmy Barnes show is a real treat. I must see him at some point before he decides to settle down. Then once again, we see like uh, Midnight Oil perform, Beds Are Burning, wearing all black outfits that say sorry. Hmm. Uh, Savage Garden play Affirmation. Uh, they wear, uh, at least one of them is wearing like an Aboriginal flag shirt. Oh, hell uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I don't really like Affirmation as a song. It's not my it's not my top five Savage Garden songs. It is admittedly tough to get a... Love Savage Garden. Savage Garden episode incoming. <laughs> uh, also, I, we must make it clear for anyone not from Australia, Australian boomers are fucking obsessed with ABBA. Uh, in a way, they have transmitted it to my generation. Um, Kylie Minogue comes out oh. in a big thong and does a version of Dancing Queen, and it's pretty good. Thong as in Australian thong? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, like a big Australian thong. Yeah, sorry. Like, standing on a big, like... Uh, Wait. Oh, I thought she had one strapped to her back or something. Oh, probably also. She's she's like maybe playing, cape. like, a grown-up version of Nikki Webster's character. Oh, that's weird. Yeah, yeah, like because Nikki Webster is there. She sings like at the start of the ceremony and then just kind of hangs out. Uh, then later on, she does the song on a night like this, and that's when the Priscilla Queen of the Desert float comes out. Hell yeah! And that number, the Dancing Queen segment, or at least the recording I saw, like the sound is kind of shit, and you can't really hear Kylie mm. Minogue. But uh, the, on a night <laughs> like this, they get the mixing right, and it's just like once, once, once this song goes hard. Um, uh, then we get I gotta watch that yeah, uh, that part of it kicks ass not the most replayed bit the most replayed bit is uh, Love is in the Air 
then we have kind of a a bunch of floats that are kind of lame ass. They have Greg Norman, the golfer, El McPherson, the model, Paul Hogan as Crocodile Dundee in full costume. Oh, sad. Uh, it's very funny to me because it kind of shows at this point in Australian history how anemic and forced a lot of Australian culture is. They're like, uh, here you go. <laughs> like, oh, fuck, what can we cobble together? Uh, bananas and pajamas? Okay, like, I'm shocked Dame Edna wasn't. Okay, that's pretty cool, though. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, bananas and pajamas was great. If you're gonna, like, fuck, fuck, there's gonna be a bluey float at the Brisbane 2032 Olympics, oh. unless we find out, like. Oh, no. Unless we find out the bluey animators are, like, running, like, child sweatshops or something like that, and they, that's how their animation gets done, like, there's gonna be a bluey float. They're Disney now, or at least they're on Disney Plus, so who knows? Yeah. Yep. Side note: Don't we already have like furry drawings for like the next Olympics? <gasps> You're right. Fuck. Wasn't that a thing? Was Was that? Or was that for the Commonwealth Games? I don't remember. I, I think it was for the Commonwealth Games, and yes, they were. Oh, and okay. That was like <laughs> an actual furry artist, wasn't it? <laughs> I think so. I don't. I, I think so. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Brief. Very funny. I edit this out. Commonwealth Games. Do you know what this show has done to my fucking search history? Oh, it's horrible. I get recommended the worst stuff. Uh, okay, I found it. Aussie government accidentally commissions furries as Olympic mascots. Oh my god. <laughs> this is so, yes. It's very funny. But also, who else to draw a really good drawing of an like a human-ish animal than a furry artist? So actually, it was really smart of them. Yeah, you look, it was really smart, but good lord. And, and look, maybe I'm just... Look, people who aren't online and fucked in the head like us would probably look at this and be like, ah, yes, that the eyes and biceps on that kangaroo hockey player thing uh, sure are, like, human and inviting. But, yeah. I hope <laughs> this doesn't awaken something in me. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, sorry, I, I just look at that and I'm just like, yeah, that's, that's very art. Like, oh, my God, I can't unsee it now. 100% straight away. I, to the trained eye. <laughs> sorry, again, this is like the, the cosmic horror aspect of it. Once you glimpse like the horror of like, of you know, that lying beneath Australian culture, or in this case, internet culture, you can't unsee it. You can never like forget. No. <laughs> oh. Exactly. Oh, God. So, yeah, uh, sorry, back to the closing ceremony. Um, Yeah, uh, it ends with the men at, sorry, it kind of winds down the men at work play Land Down Under, and uh, this was also sadly the error of the big dance megamix. Uh, they do like a boppy dance version of Land Down Under, and uh, God, I'm glad they don't fucking make dance megamixes anymore. Uh, actually, this is I'm going to ask any of our listeners under 25 if if we have any. Uh, did they ever play the Grease megamix at a school dance you attended? Because somehow in 2005, I was still hearing that shit. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and and just sped up versions of like you know easy listening songs. Like you know, I'm glad we have left that era behind. I hope we've left it behind. Uh, but then we trot out an actual relic, and I mean that in in the most respectful way I can. Slim Dusty, who who oh, kind Jesus, I forgot. Who ends it by playing a a sort of nice version of Waltzing Matilda, but I don't really like Waltzing Matilda, and uh, and then that's it. The broadcast ends with a big aerial shot of the stadium as if to say, wasn't that great? Sure hope 9-11 doesn't happen. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> See you in a year. End of history, baby. It's weird. I do remember, like, at least I think I remember, like, a sense of deflation when it was done. <laughs> <laughs> no, I Like, it just felt like Christmas. Like, you know, you're so excited for Christmas, so excited for Christmas. You open all your presents. And it's like, okay, 
Mm-hmm. Okay. It's done. What? Huh. Maybe we shouldn't have gotten such a tizzy about that thing. I don't See know. See all the decorations everywhere. You feel kind of like guilty and just weirdly like it feels weird seeing them after the day. Like yeah. it's a bit like, you know... After you finish looking at porn and you just don't want to see the porn anymore, it was like it, it, it's it's like when you feel bad about kicking all the home homeless people from out underneath your Christmas tree. <laughs> You're like, maybe I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> God, maybe I, huh? We need to we need to close all these tabs and get rid of the tissues. Sorry, I'll stop with this. Yeah, <laughs> we'll move along very quickly to just uh, miscellaneous uh, stories and anecdotes from people, just because I really like them and. They resonated with me. Here's another one from a friend of the show, Jules Furious. Um, quote, so much funding for the Australian Institute of Sport, lots of residential training programs for child-aged athletes, but I guess it paid off because 2000 was the first time Australia was a serious contender at the Games. Jules said in another tweet that they were about, I believe, 11 or 13 when uh, the Sydney Olympics were announced in 1993. So they would have been, yeah, late teens, early 20s when it happened. So some of their observations are very, like, good someone replied to them uh user comrade amber t uh quote i reckon i might have had more enjoyment for more sports if they hadn't turned everything into hyper competition then and this is something i picked up as a kid it was something that sort Mm. of alienated sport from me is that you know i'd go to just like you know kick a ball with some friends and then when you know i wasn't that good you know they were they were kind of mean and just like didn't want to play with yeah, me anymore. Yeah. So yeah, I I picked up a bit of this that yeah, like I yeah I didn't want to play with people who were into sports because they were cunts. Yeah, it definitely didn't help. Like the competitive streak that already existed, like to be sure in sports, but like at least on a very personal level, um, yeah, that it, that just increased. Usually, I realize later on that the people doing the teasing are usually like only mid at the game and are just trying to desperately to deflect oh yeah because sports nerds exist the ones who are actually doing like you know regionals they're they're like the band nerds they're too busy actually doing their shit yep <laughs> yeah so uh so you have some more tweets uh one from friend of the show rosencrantz 42 i love this one uh quote the mascots and general australian propaganda I think I was in year one and I rebelled against the nationalism by cheering for Ireland instead. So close, baby anarchist. So close. And uh, I love that. The fact that someone in year one was able to resist this because I was 13 and I bought into it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Strong-willed kid. Of course. It's what you're told. (laughs) Good on them. Uh, Oh, God. At this point, we haven't talked about uh, the chant for the Olympics. Um, Let's stop briefly to talk about the chant because I forgot to put it in my notes. What is it? Ozzy, 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 oi, oi, oi. Oh, was that specifically a Sydney 2000 thing? Let me double check, but that's when I first heard it. I mean, it could be. I just, it's so ingrained into my brain. Oh, God, if it... I know. If it's from... Because, yeah, I don't know. My dad was, like, huge on cricket and footy. Oh, like, at least with the cricket. So, like we watched international sort of games like you know Sri Lanka and India and England games so like maybe that's where I heard it but I could no be you're right god I fucked this up I wasn't aware of this used by both soccer and rugby union fans in Great Britain from the 1960s onwards oh, oh my god there you go sorry it first came to my attention because like fucking everyone was doing it oh yeah absolutely and you had more you know like there was actually a reason for you to be exposed to that chant yeah and then very quickly i've become kind of aware like in the years since it's kind of become you know appropriated by racist shitheads Mm. and you know just became very cringe uh 
brief sidebar you may be shocked to know that i was a frank zappa nerd for a bit <laughs> no not at all <laughs> not at all shocked i went and saw his son dweezil zapper in concert because that's sort of like the closest thing you're going to get to frank uh they do a bit where they sort of like you know they're all very talented musicians and they're just like all right come on like jam with us like give us feed us stuff then we will incorporate into a song and a very naive woman in the front row yelled out ozzy 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 oi 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 and the arena just went deathly silent that's very funny how embarrassing for her oh. she, i hope i wonder well i don't i wonder if she like if if i was her i would lay awake at night thinking about that time i yelled out ozzy 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 oi, 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 at a frank zappa concert and everyone stopped and stared at me have you have you not <laughs> seen how many asthma inhalers are in this room like how many fucking do you know the what the average frank zappa fan looks like they look like someone who enjoys hearing that <laughs> You're just testing the waters. She, just, she, she wasn't expecting everyone to go quiet. At least one other person to back her up. Come on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dweezil Zapper moved on very quickly from that. But uh, yeah, sorry. I, I still think of that. Just and a... some motherfucker named Dweezil is staring at you coldly. Like, Oh, look, he was, he was very just like, no, oh, come on. Oh, yeah. yeah. Anyone else? Anyone else got any props? Like... <laughs> uh... Uh, yeah, so that was very funny. Yeah, the... I'm sure it's still probably used in those events, but yeah, like has become, I think to the broader public, like extremely cringy. Moving on, we also have from the Sunrise Wave, quote, I don't really care much about sports then or now. So the main thing I remember was the games beforehand and the dream during it, with Fatso the fat-ass wombat and the IOC getting mad because people liked Fatso more than their weird mascots. I forgot to mention Fatso the fat-ass wombat. Were you familiar with that, with him at all? No, not at all. He was an invention by... Roy and HG and eventually got so popular that yeah like the Australian Olympics Committee and the IOC started to get really mad about the presence of Fatso the fat ass wombat um, okay athletes would okay that is funny yeah he started to get more popular that was kind of why they created the joke about like Sid Million dickhead and you know start expressing contempt for the existing mascots because they kept <laughs> pushing this mascot and people embraced it and Olympic athletes you know who won would like sneak plushies of the toy into oh that's funny into the award ceremonies with them the medal ceremonies i love that and uh yeah it really caught on there there is a statue of uh, fatso at the olympic park to this day ben mcclay of bunta vista forgot about the other mascots and thought that fatso the fat ass wombat was a real mascot that's pretty amazing but you see as someone who was called fatso uh <laughs> at, at recreationally by others um, oh, in, yeah. in the course of bullying, I, I, I probably just heard the, the name Fatso and just like, was like, ah, and just pushed it to the back of my brain. Yeah. Yeah. Look, look, I was also a chunky kid. I think we are a spiritually chunky kid podcast. <laughs> this is, oh, oh, like, even if we didn't have to say that this has chunky kid vibes, this whole, whole this whole podcast. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean you don't know about sport? Um. <laughs> yeah uh this that ties in neatly with a quote from user Camthink from roy and hg quote uh double quote believe me roy long after you've forgotten everything else about the sydney olympics you'll remember this apart from kathy hg was bang on the money mm. Mm-hmm. That kind of sums up my experience with it as well my favorite tweet about this comes from a user friend of the show beef skeleton uh, quote, we were on holiday in Marimbula at the time and my parents said, hey, let's go to the beach. And I said, can I stay here and watch the Olympics? So they left and I used the time to crank off instead. And as someone who was 13 during the uh. 2000 Olympics, yep, yep, 
dudes continue to rock dudes rock oh my gosh uh (laughs) thanks beef skeleton um really really appreciate your honesty (laughs) amazing watching the simpsons marathon and jacking off yep Yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this time I should tell everyone my mum listens to the podcast now, so thank you for <laughs> listening. Uh, my mum, mum of the show, my mum Lynn. Sorry, she probably knew. Uh, at this point. Oh, yeah. And at this point, we get to a cost and legacy, and we are actually making decent oh, time. Oh, God, we'll see how we go. We're at the final section. Uh, jump in whenever you want, Josie. Um, once again, we must th- yeah, yeah. thank a friend of the show, Jules Furious, for telling us about their older sibling's observation that the Olympics led to a rise in pokey culture. And the destruction of the live music scene uh, in Sydney. They talked with me quite a bit about how everyone was aware of the rise of pokey culture and how it was in the lead up to the Olympics and afterwards and how it was blatantly an attempt to get more tax revenue to help fund the games. Oh no, are you fucking kidding me? Now, I, I haven't looked up no any sources, way. but I trust Jules's judgment on this. Yeah, yeah. So that, the, the decline of live music that, in Sydney uh, and the rise of, like, you know, horrib- our horrible, sh- abusive, shitty pokey culture uh, helped fund the Olympics. Oh, that makes me want to cry. And it's also, like, a lot of people who, like, you know, gambling can lead to being houseless. So it's just like, ah, man, that's fucked up. Yeah. Uh, Once again, like, there were just a lot of tweets I didn't include from, like, American and UK sort of friends of the show and, you know, just tweeters who were just like, I don't barely remember it. What the fuck was that? (laughs) I really like this quote from friend of the show, Kells316. Quote, I remembered another thing from the years after, those fucking boomer freaks in their volunteer uniforms who wore them (laughs) everywhere for years later. Uh, friend of the show, Lars, uh, said he occasionally saw older people wearing volunteer pins and he thought that was kind of cute. I sort of agree with him. Yeah. But yeah, if someone is like wearing the full kit and like way too into it. Maybe they were good jackets. We're getting into that kind of sad longing for the glory days of the Olympics. Look, I wear a South Australian softball jacket. I've never been to South Australia, never played softball in my life. It's a good jacket. So maybe these people are wearing their cozy Olympic jackets. Maybe. maybe. But I wouldn't be surprised if they are also being like, <laughs> like, yes, I was part of the Sydney Olympics. Wasn't like, it great? Yeah. Wasn't it great? Remember the Sydney 2000 Olympics? I've done my civic duty. My family listened a lot to John Laws growing up. I was forced to listen to a lot of John Laws. and uh, I don't know who that is. Oh, God, we're doing a John Laws episode. Conservative radio talk host refuses to retire. Oh, yeah, no, there's no reason I would have ever listened to that in my life. Speaks like this has a very distinct... Oh, no. Heard. John Laws. That's horrible. The man with the golden microphone. Uh, somewhere... Well, somewhere in the Australian Gothic Dock is an episode called Everyone is John Laws. I'm not sure what to do with okay. it, but I had it after a fever dream. <laughs> yeah, sorry, John Laws ran this fucking infuriating music for years that was like, the game will never be over because we're keeping the dream alive. That's horrible. Yeah, it was very like, and people were saying like, they should do the Olympics here again. This is all stuff I heard. And I was just like, no. why? Because like, it was so good. Surely we've learned our lesson. And did we learn our lesson, Lucas? Oh, oh yep. Yeah. This is a perfect segue to costs. Um, so every Olympics runs over cost. Um, the most expensive were the, 1960, the 1976 Montreal Olympics, which ran over cost by 720%. Uh, 
I don't have the exact figure, mm. but that was a fuck ton of money by 1970 standards. Uh, Sydney, by comparison, at a mere 6.6 billion Australian dollars, only ran 90% over budget. What? This is a this is a quote from Wikipedia. I've decided to quote it, but uh, it contains sources from a bunch of articles. Uh, it contains condensed stats from Encyclopedia of the Modern Olympic Movement. Uh, sorry, uh, an article from Libric.com. Sydney 2000 auditor slams costs. An article from the Sydney Morning Herald, no medals for economic benefits at the Games. And the Oxford Olympic Study 2016, cost overrun at the Games. Uh, I'm just going to read the Wikipedia quote because it's, it's incredible. Quote, It has been estimated that the economic impact of the 2000 Olympics was that $2.1 billion has been shaved from public consumption. Economic growth was not stimulated to a net benefit. And in the years after 2000, foreign tourism to New South Wales grew by less than tourism to Australia as a whole. A quote-unquote multiplier effect on broader economic development was not realized. As a simple quote-unquote multiplier analysis fails to capture is that resources have to be redirected from elsewhere. The building of a stadium is at the expense of other public works, such as extensions to hospitals. Mm -hmm. Building sporting venues does not add to the aggregate stock of productive capital in the years following the Games. Oh, shit. Quote, equestrian centers, softball compounds, and man-made rapids are not particularly useful beyond their immediate function. No, shit. It gets worse. Oh, fucking hell. Because we're going to talk about upkeep and like what you do with a stadium that seats 100,000 people when you no longer have events that seat 100,000 people. Mm. Quote, many venues that were constructed in Sydney Olympic Park failed financially in the years immediately following the Olympics to meet the expected bookings to meet upkeep expenses. It was only the 2003 oh, no. Rugby World Cup which reconnected the park back to citizens. In recent years, infrastructure costs for some facilities have been of growing concern to the New South Wales government, especially facilities in Western Sydney. Proposed metro and light rail links from Olympic Park to Parramatta have been estimated to cost in the same order of magnitude as the public expenditure on oh the Games. God. Oh my God. Stadium Australia had been considered for demolition in 2017 by then-premier Gladys Berljekian, citing that the stadium was built for an Olympics but not for modern spectators. The plan was scrapped. Oh, sorry, it was going to be demolished and redeveloped. The plan was scrapped in 2020 during the COVID-19 pandemic. Good. Uh, the Dunk Gray Velodrome has also struggled to keep up its $500,000 per year maintenance cost, although it is still used for track cycling events. So so you build all this stuff for the Olympics and it's like, don't worry, we will use it and it'll be super easy to maintain and then it costs, then it doesn't get used. And, uh, and you've spent like $2.1 billion uh, that could have gone towards, oh, sorry, I forgot there was a note that said a lot of the money, a lot of the budget from the public sector that was used to fund it was taken from education and health. Oh. <laughs> I'm going to fucking shoot this country in the eye. I hate it so much. I think that I hate this fucking place. I think I saw another quote saying that like the London Olympics was so expensive, like so costly to the public that it basically cost every household 149 pounds in addition to like any other tax they were paying, like uh, regardless of whether you went to the Olympics or not, it cost you money. I am many times before have I declared that this is what's gonna jokeify me. This is in the running too. Holy fucking hell! Oh my! God. I knew it was bad, but this is really bad. Like the fact that these motherfuckers thought that this would be a good idea to do again in a different state. They never learn. <sighs> they never see that. Like, hey, the Olympics always runs over budget. It never really brings in that much foreign investment. 
uh, it never really brings in that much tourism dollars. All of the Olympic shit is like so heavily monetized anyway that like I believe there were people in London 2012 Olympics who were like, you know, got fined for having the word Olympics written in their shop, like on oh signs. My oh my god. What a fucking mess. Yeah, sorry, uh, sorry. I will go back to the Mike DeWall article and, you know, it's very good even though it was written in 2015, so it's got kind of, it's written kind of amazeballs style, which to be fair is how a lot of us talked. <laughs> and it is junky, it is for nerds. He ends on a positive note. He uh, sugarcoats the end. I feel like maybe the editor tacked on the, the last quote, which is like, oh, but it was all pretty good though. Like, just one year after the games ended, September 11 struck and Australia lost a huge amount of our collective innocence with the children overboard controversy and the introduction of the inhumane Pacific solution. The years following brought the Bali bombings, our involvement in the Iraq war, and Mark Latham. And by the mid-noughties, we were a properly grown-up country with our own set of political cynics, allegiances, and quote-unquote national security concerns. While I do agree with, like, obviously all those things are very fucking bad and, like, things like national security shit ramped up after 9-11 it's like that's just such fucking bullshit when you think of all the atrocities that we were inflicting ever since we settled here Mm -hmm. like yeah it it's willingly lost its innocence it was never fucking innocent what the fuck Mm -hmm. sorry i'm mad i'm mad so i guess uh as a way don't try and sugarcoat this yeah yeah and yeah i'll ignore the last paragraph because like you could have just ended there um uh so are you excited for the 2032 brisbane olympics i'm i'm excited to be able to watch from the comfort of my home um the women's weightlifting um but that is it oh and the diving probably but otherwise like it could be happening anywhere literally use the facilities that are already built anywhere else i don't give a fuck like it's gonna devastate it's going to devastate this city like it devastates other cities obviously to varying degrees it's just that for fuck's sake hopefully people just see brisbane oh and don't go i don't know i don't know fuck it all here's the thing i hope i get a cool jacket though if you see Josie volunteering. It's going to be just for the jacket. Oh, okay, so you'll wait until like one of the volunteers dies and pick it up from an op shop or an estate sale. Yeah. The one thing I do know about um, the Brisbane Olympics is that they're looking to, to like ease traffic congestion and stuff. They're looking to implement more e-scooters, Ooh. which I have a personal um, vendetta against. I fucking hate e-scooters. One of our friends nearly died earlier this year um, coming off one um, because we don't have the infrastructure for it. We don't have the rules. We don't have like they're, they're, they're not good. They're not good. They're not good for your center of gravity. I And they're just going to do more. So like Tasmania axed their public e-scooter sort of trial because they're like, no, this is way too fucking dangerous. Mm-hmm. And and in Brisbane, we're like, well, we've got the we've got the olympics coming up let's uh get more out there hey real cool i've nearly been hit by them twice once when i was with my very little daughter when she was one in a stroller a kid went Mm -hmm. right past me Mm -hmm. there was this fight going in the in the community facebook page i'm a part of uh the people in my suburb were fucking gleeful about the presence of the scooters they were calling people miserous 
if you didn't like the scooters, if you had like very legitimate concerns. And that is very much the spirit of- Yeah, bitch, I am. Yeah, what of it? That is very much the spirit of the place where I live to be like, no, this thing that's bad is good, actually. Why don't you just be fine? Yeah. Like, you know, God, I get it. You're a fat, yeah, yeah. middle-class, mentally divorced man. Of course you like- you like the shiny... Mentally divorced? Yeah, we, we have big divorce. So even if not divorced in action, like you still behave like a divorced dad. Yes, yes. Just like spiritually Amazing. and mentally divorced. We That's sad. Because at least divorced dads, like, you know, theoretically have something to be sad about. Yeah. And, and just to be clear, you can be divorced and cool, but you know what I mean when I say divorced. Oh, yeah. No, no. Divorced dad is a vibe. <laughs> no. It is not being a divorced dad. It, it is the vibe <laughs> of the place where I live. Uh, please, more young people move to where I live. <laughs> um, oh, jeez. If I could afford it. <laughs> we'll work on that. Which which is going to, you know... Uh, uh, the Olympics are set to raise house prices as well. Yeah, I can't wait, can't wait. Real, real good. I'm not psyched on the Olympics. Um, It occurred to me that, like, yeah... Firstly, um, we probably only got it because, like, more and more cities are waking up to what a fucking waste of time and money mm-hmm. the Olympics are. Uh, yeah. The, the glory yeah. doesn't last long. As soon as it finishes, it's just like, okay, cool. Enjoy your expensive fucking stadium that no one's going to use. Uh, yeah. yeah. Always run over budget. And, uh, yeah, that's absolutely going to happen in Brisbane. Or All of them are going to be like... Yeah, yeah, don't worry. Well, we won't run up a budget, and then they always do. You know, it would be so funny. Mm-hmm. So, so funny. For only if this happened to the sporting infrastructure and no one else, like, no homes. But if the, it just got flooded <laughs> while it was being built and it, nothing was built in time. Because we built a fucking city on a floodplain. Like dummies. Yep, yep. Did they factor that in? Oh, well, we, no one factored it in when they built the fucking city. So, of course, like... I don't know. I just hope it gets destroyed. Yeah. Uh, look, I will. I will. Ca- like, I will cackle at the hubris of it, not at like people who are like stuck or don't have you know the tourists who are trapped here in like floods. But like, my yeah, goodness, yeah, I'll be sitting that, at but... home uh, with my family. My children will be like young teens at the time. I'll be like, ah, oh, daddy is putting on his Joker makeup again. <laughs> Mom, we are out of Joker makeup. <laughs> with the Olympic rings around your eyes, <laughs> Jokerified <laughs> Olympic mode. <laughs> singing under the southern skies in a fucking Heath Ledger voice. Oh, Jesus. And I had this revelation the other day about the Brisbane 2032 Olympics. Is like, yeah, it costs the public of New South Wales uh, however much money, like over two billion Australian dollars. We don't have the population of New South Wales. No. <laughs> and we won't by the by 2032. That more people are moving here because we are more spread out, and you know we kind of made it okay for the early stages of pandemic of the pandemic that public spending that money being shaved off public consumption is really gonna fuck us up and uh i had an other like really grim thought is that both my wife and my mums are going to be in their 80s at the time and i'm going to have teenage children you know who want to go to school and you know my my aging mother and mother-in-law might need medical facilities and hospitals mm-hmm. and things like that and if those aren't there because we threw a fucking olympics it's going to be fine because what what you do is just you open up more mines. More mines. Just open up more mines to pay for the Olympics. Yep. That's what we'll do. That's what we'll and, do, uh, baby. Damn, this one we- ended up way more depressing than I ever anticipated. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I Sorry. That occurred to me just a few days ago as but I was doing all this research. Just y- like You oh, really I- pulled a Josie, didn't you? Like in, in all ways. My gosh. Oh, God. No, but it's yeah. it's important though because like I think that I, I that's why I find it interesting is like 
my memory and feeling of it at the time and even that some people still have of it today like that can be a thing that like that's not to detract like I'm not trying to take that away from anyone that can exist while also acknowledging the reality like the material reality of the Olympics uh and and what it did to a whole bunch of people in the economy yep yep and uh yeah I'm kind of concerned about uh, what our lives will look like in the years from like 2032 leading to 2040 uh you know don't call me cassandra don't say i'm being a miserist but uh yeah i don't know uh, this yeah. is me t- saying i to- told you so yeah you call me a miserist because like i know <laughs> <laughs> bitch i know doy <laughs> like yeah but no it's um i guess it's like i'm s- like, I guess my final thing is, like, in terms of, like, the looming specter of, like, Olympics and the destruction that it will bring, um, I guess it's just, like, well, there's so much catastrophe to happen between now and then. It's out of my control, largely. I'll just keep doing what I can. I'll keep giving the finger vaguely towards the Olympics. I'm sure there's going to be so many protests. Um... I don't know what it'll do. I'll go to them. Um, I will I, also go to them. Yeah, but like, I don't know. It'll be interesting because if it's like all these like older boomers who are interested in the Olympics, are they even going to be able to go? Like, who's going to go to this <laughs> thing? I don't know. Yeah. It's just like, I can't... The people who are making the decisions, like, they realize that like like do they know who their demographic is i don't know i'm also in a silo and i'm aware of that yeah yeah no no the vibe i get is that it's generally like everyone is a lot of people are very excited for it i wonder if they'll be excited like knowing what we know or if you know then again in australia we're great at like shrugging off bad news great at like you know turning a blind eye to things i kind of i had lunch with friends Oh, no. And you know, the conversation turned to the Olympics, and I sort of was just like, "Oh, I'm I'm doing an episode on a podcast. It's fucking bleak. Here's what I've learned." And they were just like, "Oh, but like, but yeah, yeah, yeah and just uh. that, and then it's gone." <laughs> yeah, it's like, "Oh, but it'd be fun though. It'd be fun." It's like, yeah, yeah <laughs> it's the, like, okay, the ten then. years afterwards, where yeah, we don't have access to hospitals, is going to be less fun. But yep. Well, I just think back to the Australian book novel book called Tomorrow When the War Began and how the scary, vaguely Asian uh, invaders set up, like, a camp at the local, like, footy stadium. So, um, what I know is that during disasters, footy stadiums are really good, so we should build more of them. Um, And that's that's the grand plan here. Yeah, we won't invest money into anything useful. Not climate change, a theoretical John Marsden... (laughs) <laughs> invasion by i think it was meant to be like coded as indonesia i thought it was japan but you're you're probably right i think yeah very cool and and no it's not very cool and it's not very poggers <laughs> but yeah they, they are they i'm pretty sure they're going to do esports though um at this olympics that's that is cool and poggers okay i've changed um, my mind sorry the olympics sorry. are good now everyone <laughs> so, um, sorry uh, if i if, it's a shame my my mom won't be able to like go to hospital in her 80s uh, but. But, sorry mom if you're listening but uh but now like games elite now <laughs> um and yeah like the government i think it might be the 
federal government. Yeah, uh, like, yeah, I think I mentioned this maybe in the Manabar one, I can't remember, but yeah, they're funding a whole bunch of game development and part of me wonders if it's like to tee up with having esports at the Olympics. I don't know. Oh, good. Uh, so start training your children now. Uh, I'm going to go wake up my kids now and get them to start playing League of Legends. Yeah, yeah. Get, get my kid on Dota. And when people are saying, hey, why is your kid not going to school? And why are they just playing video games all day? I'd be like, he's an Olympian athlete. Leave him alone. <laughs> I wish I had that excuse when I was playing World of Warcraft for my entire life as a teenager. <laughs> Well, that's all I have. And uh, thank you for listening to, I know this will absolutely be a longer episode. <laughs> and uh, thank you for listening to, uh, some of you will probably have listened to like all 10 episodes of Australian Gothic. Thank you for sticking with us and for having the interest that would make me put as much research into this episode as I did. I really went into a rabbit hole and wanted it to be as good as possible. But uh, <laughs> yeah, thank you for listening. Yeah, thank you. And bye. Bye. Hello, everyone. And once again, I really like to give my sincerest thanks to everyone who has listened to the podcast so far and, you know, given us the encouragement to get up to 10 episodes. I am blown away. And uh, because once again, I'm a very good podcaster, I remember to tell everyone that, uh, yes, uh, we have started a Patreon. It will be live today as of this episode. Uh, you can find us at Patreon slash Australian Gothic Podcast. And our episode on Nikki Webster will be out next Thursday. Uh, the Patreon has one tier. It's free Australian dollars. And you get a bonus episode every month. We really hope you enjoyed today's episode. And we really look forward to seeing you in the Nikki Webster bonus episode. There's a link in the description if you want to join our Discord. You can find Josie on Twitter at JSSPCR1. You can find me at Luxism. You can find the podcast at Ozgothic Podcast. Uh, that's it. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. Love you.